0: Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. All right. If you have your Bibles, why don't you go with me over to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 7. And um, we're in this uh, collection of talks called uh, a meal with Jesus. A meal with Jesus. If you were here last week, uh, you were able to be a part of the begin- beginning of this journey. And really what this is, is this, is that for the next few weeks leading up to Easter, uh, we're going to be talking about the different meals that people shared with Jesus. The- these meals are more than just metaphors. These meals that people shared with Jesus, they're a window into really the character of God, the nature of God, what Jesus is all about, and uh, they're more than just they're more than just meals. It's more than just bread and wine or some meal around the table. These are moments where we get to take a glimpse into the heart of God, His heart for humanity. These these meals are really messages. They're messages of grace. They're messages of community. They're messages of mission and what His kingdom is really all about. Really, it's His message of love for humanity. And uh, and and it, and it really, last week if you missed it. Man, I had such a good time communicating God's word. If you missed it, go to the YouTube channel, or go, to, go to our podcast and check it out. But um, really, we're taking these next few weeks as we lead into Easter. And my goal is this, is that as we look at Jesus, as we look at these meals that he shared with both crowds and individuals, that we would fall a bit more in love with Jesus. Uh, you know, we say this at our church. We say Jesus is our message. Uh, we're, we're not a political party at our church. We're party free zone. Uh, We don't push a certain agenda. We push one agenda. It's the, the agenda of Jesus Christ. He is our message. It is the grace of God. Come on, at least one or two people are thankful that they're part of a church like that. Jesus is our message. We're all about Jesus here. We make much of Jesus. This isn't built around a personality named Jason Laird. There will come a day whenever I'll no longer be the pastor of this church. Someone probably better looking than me will become the pastor of the church. Doubt it. But anyway, uh, that's another sermon. But this church is not about me. This church is not built around me. That's why you see other people do different, different parts of our service. We're, we're building this church on Jesus, by Jesus, and for Jesus. And when a church is built like that, the gates of hell will not prevail. He is the foundation of our church, and so Jesus is our message. And so today we're going to go over to Luke chapter 7. I read this, uh, these few verses of Scripture last week, and I'm going to pick back up on this and then go to the next little passage right behind it. But we, we read this last week, in Luke 7, verse 33, they'll throw it on the screen for you. For John the Baptist didn't spend—this is Jesus talking— for John the Baptist didn't spend his time eating bread or drinking wine, and you say he's demon-possessed. He's possessed by a demon. The son of man, that was Daniel, I think it's chapter 7, referred to the Messiah that would come, a messianic prophecy, uh, which is about Jesus, that he would be referred to as the son of man. Not just the son of God, but the son of man. So he's saying, but the son of man, or me, on the other hand, I feast and I drink, and you say, he's a glutton and he's a drunkard. Probably watches a lot of uh, Food Network, right? And a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right. By the lives of those who follow it, this is what Jesus is saying. He's like, you know, you guys are going around saying something about you. My critics are talking about how all I do is just go from house to house, party to party, dinner party to dinner party, meal to meal, at different people's house. Sinners, tax collectors, the the, the you know the messed up people, the screwed up people. I just hang out with them, and all I do is eat and drink. And and you say that I'm a glutton. You say that I'm a drunker. And he says this. He goes, but you know what? Wisdom's proven by our actions. In other words, he says, my actions speak about who I am. My actions are what are proof about my character and my nature. And you would think that after he makes a comment like this, after he says, you know what, you guys are, are criticizing me, saying I'm a glutton and a drunkard, and I just hang out with bad people. He says, my actions prove who I really am, and if what you're saying is true or not. You would think that the gospel of Luke, Luke's account, Dr. Luke, he's a doctor, you would think that the very next story that he would pen would be a story proving the critics wrong. And yet he pens a story to prove the critics right. Because Jesus says, you're right. I'm a friend of sinners. He says, that's who I am. And that's who God is. I'm a friend of sinners. And so we're going to read this uh, little passage. And i got to warn you, this is a provocative story. Uh, if you have any kids under like a high school age, you may want to send them out. This is a provocative story. Uh, this story is very sensual. This so- story uh, is is man probably one of the most. Uh, controversial stories in Jesus's ministry. There's been people that have even written about this account and about this story and the others in the gospels that are very similar and have questioned a lot of things about who Jesus was. And as you'll see in this particular meal that Jesus shares with a group of people, that's actually what they do. They begin to question the type of person that Jesus is because of what he allows to go down at a particular meal with an uninvited guest that shows up at his feet. It's the story that may, maybe many of you know as uh, the woman with the alabaster jar or the alabaster box. And here's how it goes like this It says in verse 36 afterward, after that moment where Jesus is having the, the conversation with the critics, it says, a Jewish religious leader named Simon asked Jesus to his home for dinner. Jesus accepted the invitation. I love this about Jesus Jesus not only has grace for sinners, but also for those that think they're saints. And that Jesus is willing to lean into a conversation with a person that's religious but, but doesn't even have a clue what's really going on in their life. Because Jesus cares about all people. Jesus cares about everyone. Rich, poor, black, white. It doesn't matter. He cares about everybody. And he goes on and he says this. Jesus accepted the invitation. And when he went to Simon's home, he took his place at the table. Usually the guest of honor would be sitting in the middle of the table. Um, and it says this, in the, in, in the neighborhood, there was an immoral woman of the streets. She's a woman of the streets. Didn't Sting saying about the woman in the streets? I don't know. Anyway, uh, woman of the streets, known to all the people to be a prostitute. Uh, probably in your translation, it doesn't say this, but in the Passion Translation, it does. Um, we don't know for sure if she was a prostitute, but we know at least she was a promiscuous woman. And she had a reputation for her sexual exploits within the city. The people in the city, they knew what kind of woman she was. It goes on, it says this, when she heard about Jesus being in Simon's house, she took an exquisite flask or jar made made from alabaster, which was an expensive material used by the Egyptians and the Assyrians to store precious things. So she takes this alabaster jar that she owns, probably the most expensive thing that she has, and it was filled with the most expensive perfume. Other trans, or other accounts say this was this was something called nard oil, and this was from a root uh, from a plant in the Himalayas that would be imported to these different regions. A lot of times, it was saved and used. It was very very expensive. It'd be worth uh, probably like a year's wage. And a lot of times, they would the brides would save or women would save this nard oil uh, f- until their wedding day, and then they would break it open. They would anoint themselves with this beautiful perfume, not just for the wedding day, but for the wedding night. Hello. Anyway, we'll keep going. And so she takes that. She takes that. Something that she's hopefully reserving for her groom, and she brings that with her prepared to go and to see Jesus. It says this. She went right into the home of the Jewish religious leader, unannounced, uninvited, and she knelt at the feet of Jesus in front of all the guests. Broken and weeping, she covered his feet, With the tears that fell from her face, she kept crying and drying his feet with her long hair. Uh, First Corinthians says that a woman's hair is her glory. She takes her glory and she begins to wrap his feet in her hair. Her tears that fell from her face, she was drying them. Says this, then she opened her flask of oil and anointed his feet with her costly perfume as an act of worship. This isn't an erotic act. This is an act of worship. It goes on and says, when Simon saw what was happening, he thought this man can't be a true prophet. See, who's, who's coming into question is Jesus now, not the woman. They knew what kind of woman she was. But what's in question is the type of man that Jesus is. This man can't be a true prophet. If he were really a prophet, he would know what kind of sinful woman is touching him right now. Now, listen, I'm sure for us to truly grasp this, you've probably read this before, but to truly grasp the the just the scope of this scandalous scene. You got you got to just put this in in like imagine this like in our day and our time. Now, Now, there's a guy named Tim Chester. He said this. Imagine you're at a dinner party. The host is a respectable church leader and local councilman who lives in a big house on the posh side of town. Tonight, the dinner party is in honor of a visiting speaker or preacher. You're glad to have been invited because there's been a lot of talk about this man. He's been causing something of a stir with his radical views, and some people won't have anything to do with him, but, but you've got an open mind. It's good to have an open mind to find out what he's really like. You hear the doorbell ring, but think nothing of it. Until a woman pushes her way into the room, you see the despairing face of the host wife, This new arrival is wearing a tight-fitting, low-cut blouse, a skirt that's way too short, and stiletto shoes. She's painted up to the nines and uh, and totters slightly as she walks. She's probably had one too many drinks tonight. She looks like the sort of woman who stands on street corners. She goes, listen to this, she goes straight to the visiting speaker, and she throws her arms around him. I'll always love you. I'll always be yours. You hear her mumble. She begins to massage his shoulders. It's then that you notice she's now crying and her mascara is streaking down her face. Everyone in the room seems to freeze. What a thing for a respectable person to have to endure this guest named Jesus. You feel for him how embarrassing this moment must be. But instead of pushing her away, he reaches up and he puts his arms around her and he says something to her that sounds like this. I'll always love you too but he can't have said that. It's obvious what kind of woman she is. He can surely see it for himself. He ought to show some type of discernment as a wise teacher. She might think this is a come on to him, to her. Maybe it is. Maybe he is one of just another one of her customers. This visiting speaker clearly has big problems. So the host concludes, we have mistaken what type of man that this is. This is the picture. Like we probably, you probably never read the text like that. But this is exactly what's happening. This is a controversial moment. What appears to be this scandal that Jesus is involved in, that this woman from the streets walks in and begins to show him this level of hospitality that is completely inappropriate behavior. But I would submit to you, and this is actually the title of my message, that this is just another one of God's scandals of grace. This is how he rolls. This is the God of the universe, the God of humanity. And it shows us so many truths about who Jesus is. Now, you you have to understand that this is like like the Greco-Roman symposium type meal where in this particular time of the day uh, and culture that these houses were built uh, with many open air spaces, especially the wealthy, like this man would have been, this religious leader. And a lot of times they would begin these meals like the Greco-Roman culture where a conversation would, would go for a very long time. Then they would cap it off with a meal, a beautiful meal, to honor the guest that was sharing his new thoughts and ideas. Many times because it was open like this, people from the streets, especially if it was a, a, a person that was a, a social kind of, a, a, you know, a social buzz around them. Like there's a new teacher in town. Many times all of the people would come on the outside, even if they weren't invited. They'd come and they'd they'd stand on the outskirts of the house and they'd listen in to what are the new ideas and concepts that this teacher is saying. Especially this guy, Jesus, because he's been going around doing signs and wonders and miracles and feeding hungry people and he's been teaching these new concepts. So there's a buzz around this figure named Jesus that is supposedly the new prophet and rabbi in town. I would imagine that there was a lot of people all around that house. And this is just my imagination. But many times uh, at rich houses like this, the poor would come and they would hang out right around these wealthy people's house, hoping for leftovers. And so you can imagine how this woman, she's probably she's probably just in the crowd. And she's looking in and she's listening to this long conversation between Jesus and Simon and whatever guests other guests were invited there. She's listening and she's hearing and she begins to just think i 'm going to go in there and i 'm going to i 'm going to to honor him and she walks into this place and she just comes in there and she goes straight for him and she gets down on her on her knees behind him. These were semi-recumbent type ways that they would sit and recline with their legs and feet behind them at the table on little cushions on the ground. And so Jesus would have been facing Simon like this with his legs behind him, his feet behind him, and she comes right in, does not talk to anyone. She interrupts the dinner party and she gets down at his feet and Jesus' back is to this woman and she begins to kiss his feet. Now, the Bible says that no one's washed his feet yet, and this is, this was a custom in their culture, that there would be a servant that would wash the feet because the feet, they were wearing these, I call them Air Jerusalems. They were wearing you know, sandals, Birkenstocks, right? running around in Jerusalem and dust and dirt and the muck and mire and mud. It would be all caked on their feet, and so uh, in a religious person's home especially, this, this guy's not a peasant. He's not poor. He's religious. He cares about cleanliness. He cares about purity. And, and he would have had a servant at the door that should have washed Jesus' feet to cleanse his feet and to cleanse his hands. But no one did that. So she comes in, and she gets down at his feet, and she begins to kiss his feet. Through the dirt on his feet, she is kissing his feet. She begins to weep and cry so much that it begins to wash the dirt off of his feet. Can't you imagine? No one in this room is saying anything at this point. Like, Simon is just, like, eyes this big, his wife is, you know, in the other room, panicking, probably has a paper bag, like, hyperventilating, you know? Like, what is going on here? And she starts kissing his feet, and she takes this oil, and she, the room has been filled with a, a smell of beautiful, like, Mediterranean food, and all of a sudden, she cracks open this expensive perfume, and the atmosphere changes. Do you know that your worship has potential to change an atmosphere? She begins to just wash his feet and she's anointing his feet. And all in this moment, it's unbelievable because the people in the room have got to be thinking, like, how does he know her? How does she know him? Like, this is like, this seems like this is something that maybe they have going on. Like, and so everyone begins to question. We know Simon's questioning it. He doesn't say anything, but in his mind, he's questioning what type of woman is this? Actually, he says, no, no, no. What type of man is he? We know what type of woman she is. And he begins to question the integrity and the character of this religious man named Jesus. He's supposed to be a prophet. If he's a prophet, he should know exactly what type of woman she is. And I think the message that Jesus is trying to teach in this moment is this, is that God, God has grace for all people, and grace makes space for sinners. Grace always makes space for sinners And I think the lesson he's trying to say is God's grace creates space for broken people. If you don't like the name sinner, if that label is too strong for you, it's broken people. And we're all broken people. We're all sinners. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And Jesus comes on the scene with this religious guy who these religious people, listen, their house was an extension as a religious Pharisee. Their house and their table was basically an extension of the altar. And the only people that could come to their table were people that were clean and were pure. A woman like this is not accepted. She is not included. She would never be invited. And Jesus, in this moment, he's got his back to her and he's just looking at Simon. And I think that just knowing Jesus, he's thinking, this is a moment I'm about to preach a message to this guy, Simon, and he's going to have something exposed in him. He's questioning my character, but now we're going to use this moment so he can, question is on. This is what religious people do. Religious people do not like creating space for people that are not like them. See, the table represents for the church, the table represents the altar, It represents the space where where the divine meets humanity, where God comes into contact with men and women, broken, flawed men and women. I wonder if our church will be a church that creates space for sinners. I wonder if we'll be a church, if we'll always be a church that says, we're not going to act like we've got it together. We're not going to act like we're perfect. We're not going to act like we're all clean and we have no dirt in our lives. We're not going to act like we have no issues. Are we going to be the people that act like that? or Are we going to be the people that say, I understand that if it were not for someone creating a space for me, then I'm no no better than these people. And Jesus says, I'm going to show this guy, Simon, the type of people that I let come to my table. See, who you let come to your table, figuratively speaking, says a lot about who you are. I wonder who, once you ask yourself this question, who is it and what type of person is it that I would not allow at my table? Is it someone that thinks different from you? Is it someone that looks different than you? Is it someone with a different skin color or maybe someone with a different political affiliation? Is it the super right-wing Republicans? You're like, I can't, I don't have any space for them at my table. Is it the very liberal left? Like, who is it that you have this proclivity to be judgmental and to see them through the lens of your own assumed perfection? Because Jesus says, that's just not how I roll, and that's not who the Father is like. That's not what my kingdom is about. My kingdom creates space for people that are broken, that are trying to figure it out. He says, I've got space for her, though you may not. I think about this time whenever I was... uh, I was kind of getting a little religious. Um, I know that may be hard for you to imagine, but I was trying. I was kind of getting a little. You know, it's funny. The longer it's it's interesting. The longer you you you're a Christian, it's easy for you to think that you uh, that you're a good person. It's easy to think that you're you know you're this moral person that's better than other people. I don't understand how that even works. It should be the older you get, the more you you have a revelation of how much you need the grace of God. But ironically, as Christians, many times, the longer we're in church, we start having these these lens that we see people through. We begin to see them through our own assumed perfection, and we just begin to think that everybody is down here, and we're up here, and eventually they're going to get up here, but they're not yet, and so we're a little bit better. It's funny how Christians can do that, and I got to that place at a particular time in my life, and I was at this, uh, I was at Buffalo Wild Wings, and... I was at the table with a couple of my friends, and this was back in the day when they would separate the bar from the restaurant, and uh, and they would actually allow you to still smoke in in the bar area. Um, and so I was sitting at the table with my friends in the restaurant area because we're Christians and we don't go to the bar, right? And so I'm sitting over here, and 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 I'm at the table right there, and um, th- this girl, these two girls, walk up to the table, and. Um, you know, this girl, she's, she's like, she walks up smoking, which she shouldn't have been smoking in that particular area because we're in the, the Christian zone, right? <laughs> Whatever. And, uh, and so she walks up to my table and she, she, she starts talking to us and they're like very flirtatious. They're like kind of hitting on us a bit. Who can blame them? You know what I mean? <clears throat> and, and this, this girl, she's, she's like, hey, um, um, we're going to be at the bar. If you, if you gentlemen would like to come over there and have a drink with us, you know, whatever. And so they walk off. And I remember in my heart, I, was, I, I didn't say it, but I, I was pretty judgmental. Like, these girls, I know, what, I know what kind of girls these girls are. I mean, I hope no one from the church sees me talking to these girls. That was going through my mind. And um and so she walks off, and then one of one of the guys at the table, this guy, Mike Haviland, Mike looks at me, he goes, Man, he goes, Are you thinking what I'm thinking? I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm thinking what you're thinking. He goes, Okay, man, well, which one of us are gonna tell him about Jesus? I'm thinking, oh, that's not what I was thinking. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 exactly. That's it. I was, I was I was interceding in my heart about the well-being of this precious daughter of the Lord, you know. Anyway, and um, and so I'm 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 sitting there and and I was so nervous I was like I don't I don't wanna I don't like you do it. No, they're like, no, you do it. We're like discussing the fate of humanity, you know, back and forth. Like you do it, you do it, you do it, like very pastoral there in, in that moment, you know. And so we decided to choose straws. Literally, we decide to choose straws, like who is gonna tell these young ladies about the love of God? Like how pathetic is that, right? And I lost. I lost. And I go to the bathroom and I'm like, I'm going to go in the bathroom and kind of gather my thoughts before I go. And I preach my best sermon, you know, on grace to these people or whatever. And I'm in there and I'm just like thinking and, and I'm like trying to figure out, like, how am I going to talk to them? And I felt like God said, why are you complicating this? Like, it's not that complicated, Jason. Just, just tell them about me and just tell them how much I love them in spite of their, their worst thoughts or their worst things that they've ever done. So I go in there, I remember walking through the Christian restaurant side towards the bar, the center side, and my friends look at me and they're like, thumbs up, and I'm like, you know, and I walk in there, and, and when I walk up to these girls, I start talking to them, and, and, and as I'm talking to these girls, I had such a sense of compassion that filled my heart in that moment. And as I'm talking to him, I, I, I kind of pulled a, a smooth when I was like, hey, so there's a guy here in the restaurant. He wanted me to come and tell you something. He wanted me to tell you that, that you're so beautiful. And she's like, oh, where's he at? Which one? I don't like. He's kind of chubby. I don't like him. Is it the other guy over there? And I'm like, no, 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 no not, 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 not those guys. There's another guy here in this, in this restaurant, and he wanted me to come and tell you something. And She's like, well, what is it? What's the message? He wanted me to tell you this, that he loves you, and he doesn't care. He doesn't care what you've ever done, what you've ever thought, and I'm telling you, Tears begin to stream down her cheeks. I, can't, I couldn't have like, planned this any better. I'm like, I'm such a great evangelist. <laughs> it was just a divine moment. We were able to, these girls came outside the restaurant. We were able to pray with them. This girl received Christ. It was an amazing moment to lead this, lead this girl to the Lord. I got in my car, and I was riding home, and I felt like the Lord just spoke to me. He said, look at what you would have missed out on if you would have kept your judgmental spirit towards this girl. He's like, Jason, he was like, don't you ever forget how far I brought you, I've brought you from. Don't you forever, ever forget what it was like to be just like that young lady, lost and empty and broken. That's the kind of, that's the kind of church that I want our church to be. The question I wrote down for us is this, is, is your table big enough for people that are not like you? I want you just to think about that. This isn't just for our church. This is for you. Is your table, do you have a seat at your table for people that don't look like you, act like you, believe like you, value like you, do you have a seat? Do I have a seat? Because Jesus always had a seat. Now, not only does Jesus welcome broken people, accept broken people, and love broken people right where they're at. Not only does he do that, he likes to challenge us as religious people. I love what he does there. It says that Jesus, he, he speaks to Simon, uh, and he says, Simon, I have a word for you. Now, remember, Simon is questioning, is this guy even a prophet? I mean, I would say that at this moment, it's been confirmed. The, Simon just had a thought in his head, and Jesus is like, I want to speak to your thoughts. Whoa, that is so gangster if you think about it. Like, Jesus knows our thoughts. He knows what we think about. But I love this, because as he begins to speak to him, He's speaking to a guy, Simon, who is questioning his own character, questioning Jesus' character. And Jesus, when he begins to speak to him, he begins to turn this thing upside down. He says, now we're going to begin to question your character and expose who you really are in this moment. He goes on, he says, Jesus said this, says this to Simon. Simon, I have a word for you. Go ahead, teacher. I want to hear it. He answered. It sounds like there's such arrogance in his tone. It's a story about two men. So he starts telling a parable. It's a parable of pardon. It's a story about two men who were deeply in debt. One owed the bank $100,000 and the other only owed $10,000. When it was obvious that neither of them would be able to repay their debts, the kind banker graciously wrote off the debts and forgave them of all that they owed. Tell me, Simon, which of the two debtors would be the most thankful? Which one would love the banker the most? Simon answered, I suppose it would be the one with the greatest debt forgiven. You're right. Ding, ding, ding. You're right. Jesus agreed. Then he spoke to Simon about the woman still weeping at his feet. She's still weeping at his feet and he's facing Simon. His back is to this broken woman as she's weeping and crying at his feet and anointing him with her worship. And he says, I want you to take a look at this woman right here. He says, look at her, Simon. Don't turn away. Look at her. He says this. Do you, don't you see this woman kneeling here? She is doing for me what you didn't bother to do. When I entered your home as your guest, you didn't even think about offering me water to wash the dust off of my feet. Yet she came into your home and washed my feet with her many tears and then dried my feet with her hair. You didn't even welcome me into your home with a customary kiss of greeting. But from the moment I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't take the time to anoint my head with fragrant oil, but she anointed my head and feet with the finest of perfumes. She has been forgiven of all of her many sins. This is why she has shown me such extravagant love. But those who assume they have very little, listen to this, those who assume they have very little to be forgiven will love me very little. In other words, listen, Jesus is saying to Simon, the reason this woman is showing me this level of love, honor, and lavish hospitality is because she has been forgiven a great debt. She is honoring me from an overflow of gratitude for all the grace she's been given. It's interesting, the harlot becomes the host, and she wasn't even invited as a guest. Yeah, here's the thing Jesus is trying to say. You're questioning her worship, her passion, her scandalous hospitality towards me. You're criticizing something you don't understand. You don't understand what she's walked through. You don't understand what she's been through. You don't understand how men have abused her and treated her. You don't understand, and you're criticizing something you don't even understand. If you understand her pardon, then you would maybe understand her praise. I'm telling you, when I was in worship earlier, I could not stop crying because I started thinking about all that God has forgiven me. I just begin to go back through my life, all the sin, all the brokenness, all the insecurity, the addiction and the way I treated people, the way I treated my own family. I begin to look at all that. And God had a seat at his table reserved for me. He said, I've got a space for you, Jason. He forgave me of all my sins. He's cleansed me of all my unrighteousness. Listen, your pardon will be reflected in your passion and your praise and your worship. That's why when I come in here, listen, when people come in here, they're like, I don't understand why people at Sozo Church worship so loud. I'll tell you why. Because we know we were lost and we've been found by the grace of God. We know we were blind and the grace and love of God came to us in our brokenness. I will never apologize for the passion of our church. Passion is our response, we say. You'll understand the passionate way that we respond when you understand all the pardon we have received. I've received so much grace, and the least I can do is bow at the feet of Jesus. Even, in, even when other people around me, they don't understand my praise. They don't understand my devotion. They don't understand why you lift your hands or why you sing like that. Why are they doing this? Because of the grace that has been given to us, because it's a scandal. It doesn't make any sense that he would love me the way he loves me. It doesn't make any sense that he would forgive me and give me a fresh start and a new beginning. But he has done it because he is God. He's the God of grace. He's not like you. He's not like me. He doesn't see people through this lens. Of, and he's, listen, he's the person that is the most qualified to see us through the lens of perfection because he's the only one that's perfect. And yet he doesn't do it. He sees us through the lens of the blood of Jesus. He forgives us. He shows us grace. I got to sit down. I'm about to preach myself into a circle. I'm about to take off running in here. I'm about to back up. But Jason, Jason, wait, wait, wait. Are you saying that grace makes allowance for sin? No. Grace doesn't make allowance for sin. It makes allowance for sinners. This doesn't, what? (laughs) In case you're on the podcast, someone just said, what was that? (laughs) Grace doesn't make allowance for sin. It makes allowance for sinners. See, God's not soft on sin. Look at the cross. God's not soft on the things that are destroying ourselves and humanity. He's not. Look at the cross. Look at what Jesus endured on the cross. For he bore all of our sins. He bore all of our iniquities. He did that. He took it. He took on our shame. He took on our brokenness. He took on all of that. God is not soft on sin, but he has grace for sinners. He has grace for us because he understands us in our brokenness. You know one of the reasons why Jesus lived on this earth? So that he could be acquainted with your suffering. So that he could be acquainted with your temptation. He could be acquainted with your, the abuse that you've walked through. He knows. He knows. And he carried all of it on the cross. The weight of it he felt on the cross. Listen, righteous or religious people have a problem with grace because they assume that they don't need it. And this is the very thing that Jesus is pointing out to Simon. Simon, you assume that you have little to be forgiven of. And that's why you love me so little. That's why you didn't even give me a kiss on my cheek when I walked in. That's why you didn't, you didn't do the things that are required by the law. I'm a rabbi. You didn't even do what's required because you're sitting there in your self-righteousness and your pride. He was like, but this woman that you think is so disgusting is actually exposing the disgust in your own heart. As you're, you, you think that you don't need any help from anyone. You have all your religious boxes that you, you check off and they make you feel better than other people. But you need as much grace as she needs. And if you knew how much grace you needed, Simon, maybe you would be worshiping me the way that she is. Yeah, let me hurry up. I got I to I wrap up here in a moment. In this moment, though, it's unbelievable because when you read the text, Jesus' back is to the woman this entire time he's talking. When he tells the pardon parable of forgiveness and he's addressing this whole thing, he's facing Simon Read it when you get a chance. He's facing Simon. He's talking to Simon. He's speaking to Simon's heart. He's speaking to Simon's thought. He's challenging his perspective. This is what this whole collection of talks is about, is to challenge our perspective. And Jesus is challenging Simon face-to-face. This is a theological gesture. When God is, when his face is towards someone, he receives them. When his back is towards them, he rejects them. And in this moment, Jesus is facing Simon, a theological position and posture of acceptance. And when he finishes, Simon does not humble himself and confess, you're right and I'm wrong. He stays there staring at grace in the face, in arrogance. And and in this moment, here's what happens. Jesus does this. He turns his back to Simon and he faces the woman in acceptance. He's making a strong theological statement is you, you can't even humble yourself. She can't even get up off the ground. She's so humble. She knows how broken she is. She knows how much she needs me. And he turns away from Simon and he faces this woman. Oh, I love what happens. He looks down at her. Jesus says to this woman at his feet, he says, ma'am, all of your sins are forgiven. All of your sins, all of them. Everything you've ever done I forgive you. You were pardoned. Your debt has been canceled. Imagine if there is a crowd that's standing around the outside of this house watching the most powerful sermon of the scandal of grace. He says, ma'am, your, your sins, every one of them, I know all of them, every one of them, I've canceled the debt. They are forgiven. And then all the dinner guests said among themselves, who is the, who is the one who can even forgive sins? Then Jesus said to the woman, your faith in me has given you life. It wasn't your active devotion. It wasn't you coming in here and showing up and turning up at church. It wasn't you paying tithes and doing. No, it was your faith in me as what? Not, I'm not just a prophet. Y'all were wondering if I'm a prophet, I'm a redeemer. I'm a forgiver of all debts. I'm the God of, he's saying, you know what he's saying? I am the Messiah. I am the son of God. I am God in the flesh. And I came here to sit at a table with the worst of the worst to show them that I believe in them, that I care about them, that I have a plan for their life. This is Jesus. This is the gospel. He says, your faith in me has given you life. Now you may leave and walk in the ways of peace. Shalom. That means wholeness. That means wholeness. Here's what, she, here's what he's saying. Your life has been broken in pieces but you've laid it at my feet and, in, and you've put your faith and trust that I am your redeemer. And now you can leave. You don't have to walk in pieces. You can walk in peace. I'm going to give you a fresh start. I'm going to give you a new beginning because I am your redeemer. This is grace. Listen, last thing I want to tell you is God's grace gives a fresh start to people with a broken past. I re, I, I have been like workshopping this last little phrase since last night, wrestling with in my head, I've named it like five different things. And finally, I feel like God said, I, I have a message I want to share with. At least I sensed this in my heart. God didn't speak audibly to me. But I sensed that God wanted to say to somebody, somebody in here that you have a past that you're ashamed of. And God wanted to say, out of, through his grace, from this mill, he wanted to say this. I have a fresh start for you. It doesn't matter how broken your past has been. It doesn't matter how shameful your current reality is. If you'll place your life at my feet, best seat in the house, if you'll place your life at my feet and you'll trust me with your heart and the broken pieces of your life, I will give you a fresh start and a new beginning. You see, this is grace. This is the scandal of the grace of God. Amen. Thanks for listening. Join us each week here on the podcast or live in San Francisco. Keep up with life at Sozo by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.